2023. This is the Final Word Cricket Podcast with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Season 15, episode 17. We're sat in a park next to the Melbourne Cemetery at the Mindfulness Table and uh, we're about to do our New Year's Eve show, as we do every year. We don't typically do it on the morning of New Year's Eve, but we planned to do this yesterday. Uh, we planned to do it on the 30th and release it on the 31st, but four-day finish. We went out on night four. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a fairly decent hit out as well mm-hmm. and had we recorded yesterday neither of our voices would have worked quite well, so well well yeah it might have might have had less clarity of thought and yeah. more maybe less mindfulness I've got to say it wasn't deliberate to choose a mindfulness table we just chose a table in a park but it happens to to be about mindfulness it encourages you to take your shoes off I read the, the plaque yeah. before it said it wants you to sit here barefooted we're not I've doing that it. oh I you have. have yeah I've honoured the request right this is what it's all about because uh, we, do, we just had a golden retriever coming up to make friends with us as well so hopefully Hopefully we'll meet some dogs over the course of this show, but doing it outside in a park where you can, um, that seems like a good thing to do. And maybe it's about mindfulness because this is the end of year review. Yeah. This is the best and worst of 2023. We'll get to that in the second half, but this is where we think about the year that was, what it brought us, what it didn't. Uh, and so, yeah, maybe it's appropriate. Yeah, we'll, we'll try and be in the present, mm. as you're meant to be when you're meditating. Or recording a podcast. Or recording a podcast, but... What if it's a history podcast? Then how do you can manage you be that? in the present and be in the past? How can it be the morning of New Year's Eve? I'll ask Tom Holland. We'll find out. Uh, so yes, a great night on on uh, on night four. A lot of final word people were floating around as well, Jeff. It's kind of nice that when we go out in Melbourne and, and you know have a bit of a dance around that people are like, oh, you guys make that podcast that we listen to. I'm like, yeah. We do. That's that's great. So nice to meet you. Do you want to talk about cricket? Let's drink time? a beer about yeah, it. Yeah. So that, that was mm. part of it. And here we are. So the last time we communicated with you, we were at the MCG. Yep. And there is a little bit of uh, follow-up of that test match. A bit of wash-up, shall we say, of the okay. Melbourne test match. Yep. The bit that jumped out most to me was... Um, Actually, in relation to a YouTuber who we get a lot of requests in our comments to do a collab with John Boy, who's the American sports YouTube commentator, I suppose, analyst, who's found his way into cricket. And he's an excellent cricket analyst as well. I mean, given cricket's not his first sport, he seems to have really thrown himself into it and understands the the guts of the game. And he found something that I don't think any of us did at the time with Rizwan and the controversial decision. By the way, Muhammad Hafiz completely teed off at the press conference, attributing the the cursed use of technology um, to why Pakistan. That's, lost. That's strong. That is that is implying um, that the occult has been yeah. involved. Was that Nick Hockley? Was it <laughs> a Cricket Australia thing to get witchcraft involved? Um, well, was it a cauldron? Quote, I believe inconsistent umpiring and technology curse really given us has really given us the result which should have been different so he thinks if not for the yeah. Rizwan friction point sure. they, they would have gotten over the line at least that's how he felt in that emotional moment and I get it that yep. you're sitting in the MCG you've lost a test match that for about five minutes that felt like they could have won, haven't won. 16 in a row in Australia and, and so on. Daniel Russell wrote a great piece about mm. that um, that day, by the way, on Crick yeah. Info, about, you know, from the fans being there, sat behind the goals mm. at the um, at the uh, Shane Warne stand end and how they are experiencing it and feeling so close to um, witnessing something incredibly special for only to fall short. Mm. And by a margin, it, in context, isn't that big. It's a margin runs. that makes it tempting, but it's not a margin that meant they were going to win. No. Like, as you said on The Daily Show, Rizwan had every opportunity. had He'd been given not out to get out another way, doing something else after that. Exactly. Because it's hard. It's hard to make match-winning runs. It's hard to score big match-winning innings. They would have needed to score 
one run less in the fourth innings than Australia scored in the first. So and he was batting in a, by that stage, probably more salmon than him. They were batting in quite an enterprising way. They were batting with risks, and that's fine. They were trying to make sure they never got to the second new ball. It all made sense, but still, they, they did fall, as you say, a fair way short of the finish line. And the Rizwan bit with John Boy, just to come back to that, is that he's basically been sprung for um, doing something very Rizwan-esque. You can probably tell if you're listening to watching this show. We quite like the uh, the way Rizwan goes about it. He's very over-the-top, very dramatic, very theatrical. Uh, and when he was, well, he was given not out by Michael Goff. And as the Australians were weighing up whether to review or not, um, Rizwan kept pointing to his arm and the mark well, He was on his rubbing arm. it initially. He was like, ooh, that really hurt. Ooh, where it got me on the arm. And in doing so, that mark, um, it's a big white mark, which, you know, when you think about it now, I don't think a, a welt comes up immediately as white. Anyway, I digress. No. It looked more like a graze that was healing to me. I, well, like, maybe it was. Like he lost some skin there another time, but it was old lost skin. Right. And anyway, he was pointing at that mark and I think that part of... Even our conversation the other night might have even... I don't know whether we referenced it. We certainly referenced it on radio that it was odd that having been adjudicated as flicking the, ed- the top of the glove, mm. that there'd be this mark on his arm and there was an inconsistency there and maybe it was an illusion and so on. But uh, yes, the mark was absolutely there uh, before uh, the incident. When the, he came the, out the, There's bat. shots of him coming out to bat and there's a close-up on his arm and the mark's there. So Rizwan, um, yeah, I think that kind of sums up the way he uh, goes Drama about kid. it. Drama kid. Bit of stage maker. Yeah. Got a bit of the pancake out, yep. like preempted it. <laughs> Put, in case I get hit on the arm, well, you should have just cut your wristbands in half. Why do you have such big wristbands? There you go. As we've gone through. So that's the major wash-up from the Australia-Pakistan test, as, Jeff. As for the technology curse, Mohammed Hafiz, we all suffer from the technology curse, my friend. We all have phones with social media apps on them, like brain vampires leeching our attention, making us sit there and ignore our family and friends, destroying our short-term memory, ruining our relationships, rabbit-holing and red-pilling our friends and loved ones. We've all got the technology curse, buddy. It's not just you, okay? You're not a special case here. And the other side of the curse, everyone's tra- no, no one's charges work. No. There's always fucking problems with the cables. No charges and- work. And they're inconsistent. They keep going, oh, we've got a new kind of charger now. Oh, great, a new kind of charger. Awesome. I look forward to not being able to charge anything, even though there are 16 charges in this yeah, room. We'll have USB-C for everything, and then we'll all have 27 USB-C cables because none of them fucking work, right? So, yeah, the technology curse afflicts yeah. all of us. Muhammad Hafiz, who we, you know, there. we all like the professor. So, by the way, it's not it's not personal. Um, it, it might get personal in America. This can is I, a, can I, sorry. Can I throw in one more, one last little bit. I remember I said on the daily I had a hall of fame I couldn't remember. Oh, okay. And it was wardrobe related. Yeah. I finally remembered what it was. Maybe long, long time listeners might remember Tom Cowie from the White Line Wireless days, yeah. um, who's also a, an esteemed reporter for the uh, formerly the artist formerly known as Fairfax Papers. I saw Tom in the in the bull ring on day three or day four, whatever it was, wandering around. I thought something looks a bit odd with this picture. He's wearing a pair of thongs. Wearing, a, for our international listeners, flip-flops. In the in, MCC? In the bullring. In the, and I was like, how did you get in? He's like, I have no idea. I just walked up and nobody stopped me. Brilliant. How did that happen? It was the most unusual thing I saw all week. Noted. Maybe you should try it on with your bare feet next time you're yeah. using your MCC membership. Sure. So here you go. I'll just say Justin Langer told me to do it. <laughs> Justin Langer sent me here. I wasn't going to talk about the American Premier League. That wasn't on my no. radar. But I, I think it deserves some attention. So this unfolding drama overnight, uh, the context is this is a, a you know a kind of quintessential money money 
Spinner. Spinner in T20 land, a relatively new competition. But we know some people who are involved in it, you see. So I've taken a bit of an interest. The players who are there, who have international stature, if you like, yeah. Ben Cutting, Rakeem Cornwall, Mohamed Irfan, Simi Singh. Like, there are players there who we've we've covered the careers of in, in different points. But like Dan Lawrence was meant to be out there, England, England international, before he, before he pulled out. But the story here is, I think, mostly due to the fact that America is scheduled to host a T20 World Cup in, well, six months. Not yes. even. Not even. And we'll be over there for that. And under their wider banner, I suppose, I know it's not being run by USA Cricket per se, but still, Mm. on their soil at least, there is a tournament where there's been a stop work meeting today where the players and the officials and the umpires and the media, by that I mean the broadcast team, as I understand it, have said, we are not working until we are paid. Mm. There is no evidence that we're going to be paid. We haven't been paid yet. A huge dispute at the hotel where Georgie Heath, who's friend of the show, who's presenting the tournament, uh, she had a knock on the door at 1am and basically frog-marched her out of her hotel room because none of that had been paid for either. So it's complete cowboy stuff, right? And uh, Brian R. Kane, great mate of the show, we followed his umpiring journey all the way back to the very start. We hope one day he'll become an ICC, uh, an IC, on the ICC panel um, for US internationals. It feels like he's on that trajectory at the moment. He was at the Major League Cricket Tournament last year that went pretty well. He was a fourth umpire there and he's learned all the TV technology. Members of the Final Week community helped get him out to England this year as well to umpire in the Essex League and so on. So, And Brian's a great yarn anyway, as we've had him on the show. He didn't grow up with cricket. He didn't grow up in Australia or anything like that, but he loves Australian rules footy. Played it in America. Through that, he found cricket. One thing led to another. He's umpiring with Steve Buckner on a Saturday most weeks. It's, it's a great story, right? And anyway, Brian's been part of this stop work action where the police have been called in, where they've been evicted from the ground. Who could have who could have guessed though? Who could have, to be fair, who could have guessed there'd be any administrative problems in the USA relating to cricket that's never happened before? There was no reason to think that it would ever have happened again. South Africa, this is well, when you're talking about shambolic situations, the, the test squad that they've just named for New Zealand, which contains almost none of the players who are currently playing against India and just beat India soundly inside three days at Centurion. It's it's an interesting time to be following South African cricket. It is. So 14 players named for this squad. We always knew it was going to be something of a replacements squad. Seven un- uncapped players. Now, where I'm like even more exercised about this than I have been before, the, the South Africa have just won their first test of the new WTC cycle, right? They've knocked off India in really impressive fashion by an innings. We'll come to that in a moment. That was the Boxing Day test played at Centurion. But you go through South Africa's WTC draw, the six series they play, I reckon they're a decent chance of reaching the top two, or, or they might be anyway. India are by far their, tof- their toughest opponent at home. Uh, they play uh, Bangladesh and the West Indies away. They could conceivably sweep both of those series. Bangladesh are in a bit of a trough, and, and the West Indies are nowhere near it. At home, in addition to South Africa, uh, in addition to India, my apologies, they play Pakistan and Sri Lanka. You'd think they'd do well in both of those series. The only other series they have away from home is this New Zealand two-test tryst coming up in a couple of weeks. So this might be what prevents or denies them. In the very same way they were willing to risk World Cup qualification this time last year for the SA20, they, they had to get through the last gasp final qualification spot. They did get yep. there and they made the semi-finals. But, you know, there was no sure thing they were going to get to that spot. They were willing to really chance their hands there. And on this occasion, they're willing to jeopardise what could be 
a relatively cushy path through to the final of the World Test Championship, acknowledging that it's done on percentage of wins. If they lose 2-0 here, it'll make it that much harder. Uh, and what a bloody shame, given we're crying out for the WTC to be as competitive as it can be, that it's been compromised in this way uh, by a side who, on paper at least, and indeed on the basis of the results we've seen uh, recently with them at home and the way they played this week, they could be a contender. And on percentage of wins, if you're playing a shorter series, then it gives you less opportunity exactly. to maybe jag a win somewhere because you're, you're more, much more likely to get stomped in the first couple and New Zealand at home fairly formidable I don't think they'll be holding back I, you know, the New Zealand team will be will be pissed off really that they're getting sent this side and it, it's not a slight on the players there are some decent players there I mean Dwayne Olive here was someone we speculated about coming back for this series and he will David Bettingham got called up to this current series and, and so he's around you know Neil Brand experienced first class captain but is it Lee Jamon the, the, the last time that you've, you've got a, a captain on <laughs> debut in a game that's not the side's first ever match it, it, it probably is and look I, I feel sorry for Brand who's taking maybe, over as the as the captain I mean he, maybe Floyd Reefer when the Windies went to Bangladesh with the second team good in, shout. was it 2011 yeah it's a good shout but I mean you go through it there are players who are in this current squad David Bettingham you mentioned before who's, who's earned it I mean I know he went Colpack but Mm. His results in England, he made the better part mm. of a thousand runs before the end of May a couple of years ago. So he's got a higher ceiling than most who they can call off the bench and made runs against India last week. Keegan Peterson, who until very recently was in the first choice South African team, a lot of experience. Uh, Kaya Zondo's going as well, isn't he? Well, who, who, who has been in the first choice team. Who, I mean, I think he was the weakest of the top six I saw last year in England and, but, in, and in Australia. But, but he, he had, had moments in Australia where you, know, you could see the ability there. Yeah, I suppose that's true. And Hamza, who's been playing against um, India this week. So they have got some there. But it's very hard not to draw the conclusion that this is why Dean Elgar retired. Completely announced he would agree. retire after this series because he said, because he's such a staunch and, and stern-minded sort of person, he would have said, fuck this shit, I'm not going on this, this horse and donkey show I don't know is that a phrase no it's probably not Horse whatever it is show, Horse show. I don't know back of a back of a trailer kind of thing I'm not doing this half ass not really a test team like I'm somebody who played with Graham Smith AB De Villiers um, Hashim Amla you know Dale Stain like I played in the great sides I played with great players and, and I'm not going to be part of seeing this test team degraded to this point because so many people speculated we probably did as well that he'd be captain he'd be of yeah. this team and he's made his way back on the basis of his first class results he's you know, he's made a hundred big hundred defining yeah. hundred against India I'm with him uh, I wouldn't want to be part of it if I were him either Dwayne Olafier you know, he's the second best strike rate in test match history he's no mug and he will be a formidable bowler in New Zealand conditions as probably will Dane Peterson I've watched him bowl for knots last year he is the kind of guy who, who thrives in England you'll think in New Zealand uh, he's got sufficient skills to, to do well there as well but yeah then we're into uncharted territory um, I thank Fados Munda for going through this on Crick Info I picked up some of this from her article but you know batters who we just simply haven't heard of before because they've never made it to this level and may not have ever thought they would uh, Reynard uh, von Tonda Ruan de Schwartz and they're going to bat in the top six evidently uh, bowlers here uh, Mpongwana and uh, Moreki they're two seamers an extra spinner Sean Van Berg who's 37 years old making his debut potentially as a leg spinner that's right up right in our areas though. yeah I do, hope, I do like that hope he takes a 10 for hope Sean gets a go and the keeper well their backup keeper 
Uh, oh no, no, it will be their keeper. Sorry, looking yeah, through Clyde the squad, Fortune. Clyde Fortune, who's um, yeah, he's averages, been around. Yeah, he's been around, but averages twenty seven with the batting first class mm. cricket, right? Yeah, like Infidosis piece. He he's got the fifth highest batting sure. average, in, and that's not everything, but it gives a sense of where they've right. where they've where they've dredged their players from. Okay, for but this. maybe maybe we're taking a negative view on this, and maybe we need to think of it as more like, say, we're going to have a hundred fiftieth anniversary Test match in in yep. uh, two thousand and twenty seven, for instance. This is more like a tribute to early 20th century South African test teams where they would just shit house a bunch of the time and it was just a bunch of random dudes who they plucked out of, oh, you played a tour game for Orange Free State against <laughs> the visiting MCC or whatever and you took three for 40. You're in. You're in the test team. Well, especially with Sean Von Berg, the wrist yeah. spinner given with wrist spin, it's how South Africa did uh, take some big scalps before World War One. So, yeah, I don't mind that. I, I think that that's one part of this yeah. that's of interest to me. Can they play World on War, can they get New Zealand to agree to a matting pitch? Yeah, that, that would be an extra chance. So, yeah, it's not the it's not the player. I want to come back to this. It's not the player's fault. I hope they do their country proud. I hope they uh, pull off a miracle. We'll follow the series closely. But CSA and those who've been responsible for allowing a domestic T20 comp take precedence over a test series as part of the World Test Championship, they're the ones who need to be scrutinised. They're the ones uh, who, who shouldn't get off... Uh, off the hook for this um, this is bad this is a sign of things to come and this will be something that I'm sure comes up in our review of the year and, uh, and other storylines like this in the second segment of the show today and it's not entirely unfamiliar or unrelated with the West Indies squad so yeah. you've, you've got 231 tests of experience in the Windy squad 216 of them come from four players who are the usual suspects Craig Brathwaite Kemar Roach Elzari Joseph Josh De Silva um, and even then De Silva's only played 22 test matches yeah, so that's it's it. not like he's a super experienced the fifth, player yeah the fifth most experienced player in the side is in the squad rather is Tej Narayan Chandapal he's played 8 test matches so this is all from CA's number crunching during the week that we picked up as well I should say but yeah this is I interviewed with Jared Todd Greenberg on our coverage this week and he he is trying to his best I think and he does a great job of doing this of explaining that we need to be prepared for this discomfort that this is going to happen more and more that you know Jason Holder and Kyle Mayers Kyle Mayers you know what a taboo last year a double hundred batting fourth winning a test chasing 390 odd it was such a great story such a great beacon of hope of sorts for West Indian cricket that only a couple of years on from that he's declining a national contract he's prioritising I can't remember which one Holder and which one Mayers is in one's in South Africa one's at the ILT20 I know Holder's made a big contribution to West Indies cricket I have more sympathy for him although he's served his time although he has said he's not ruling out playing Test cricket in the future, but Kyle Mayers, you know, you, I know he's, he's probably didn't... ruling out coming to Australia and getting pumped again because he yeah. knows that that's not a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, and if you could do that, or you could go and make a huge bunch of money in a couple of weeks, you know, you can understand the, you can understand going, okay, I'm not going to bother with a series that we don't even have a prospect of winning, as opposed to say playing England at home in the Caribbean or something like that where where they've historically been so competitive. Well, this is it, right? This is why they've not taken the contracts because they can't be they um, bound to uh, touring. And this is, I guess, Greenberg's point really about uh, about the, the, the way in which the international game is going to have to evolve to accommodate players who no longer wish to be part of this. And for the Windies, it's been a longer run story, hasn't it? We don't even talk about Shy Hope being a test player anymore. Um, Nicholas Puran, who's had a fabulous year in short form cricket, I don't doubt that he's in the most gifted six batters in the West Indies. They've just knocked off England comprehensively in a white ball series. That side of their game's going as fine as it has since the 2016 World Cup. 
But yeah, the side they are bringing out here, I fear for them. Jaden Seals, who has got that experience from bowling in Australia last year, along with Kemar Roach and Azari Joseph, he's injured with a shoulder complaint, so he can't come out. So they, they are right up against it for those test matches at Adelaide and Brisbane with, again, like it was with South Africa, seven uncapped players will be making the trip. And I suppose uh, then that brings you back to South Africa yeah. and back to India and just how well South Africa played in that Boxing Day test. Rabada ripped them up. Elgar makes 185, um, almost his highest score. He's got that 199 as well. Never quite cracked a double ton, so had the, you know, had the opportunity there. And to do that on a surface where, I mean, I was watching that, that third innings, what ended up being the final innings, when Coley was batting through and everybody else was falling apart. Mm-hmm. It was nine single-figure scores, yeah. and then Coley made 70, 76. Coley made 76, not? a 58%. Shubham Gill made 30-odd. 20, 23, uh, maybe. And, yeah, yeah, the rest is all single digits. So they're, they're, their partnership was the only vaguely credible part of it. I did see a little bit of suggestions that, that the South Africans had doctored the pitch, mm. which is quite funny, considering they made 400-plus when they had their turn. It does um, sound a bit familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. comes up every time. Funny well, that. Um, <laughs> but it, it was, I mean, it was a difficult pitch. It was sure, It was yeah. doing heaps, but from that sort of back of a length, it was, there were, there was inconsistent bounce. I mean, some of those South African pitches are absolutely horrible to bat on after about day three. The one that, um, that India got last time they toured was it the Joburg one that time were they playing at Wanderers I can't remember oh yeah I remember when, that. So that was before we were there in it's a long time yeah, ago isn't it no it was, no sorry it's two years ago yeah there's a series in between that I'm missing yeah um but it was it was you know all over the place again it was over in two and a half days and, and that was that was a, a shocker to bat on I don't know if this one was quite as difficult but um it, it was maybe it was just bowling quality you know Shami's not there they had Prasid Krishna come in he got absolutely belted Shuttle Tucker was ineffective as that sort of backup seamer um, Ashwin was back in the side, which, you know, <laughs> a bit of a hiding to nothing. You've missed the whole World Cup, but why don't you go and play in South Africa and we, see how that works out? He's not been getting a game in what they call the senior countries, Ashwin, and he gets one here and they lose. Boomer still took four for in, in the first dig, so they're well led by him. Uh, but yeah, Marco Janssen down the list making 84 not out for yeah. South Africa. The two left armours, uh, so um, Andre Berger, who uh, you, you include uh, Kutia, who, who barely bowled in the game or didn't have a huge influence in the game. And with he's Ra- injured. He's with, out of the next test. With Rabada, who was magnificent on that first day. Some of those wickets, including the ball to Coley, which is to die for. Then you've got K.O. Rahul making 100 against the odds. It's funny, you know, K.O. Rahul, I think he's, isn't he the, um, a complete charlatan, worst player to ever represent India, a disgrace to the men in blue? Oh, he, that's just after the World Cup, I was reading all of that. Because they didn't win the World Cup for right. Um, right, 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 right. No overreactions required no. there. Okay. He was he was in shocking uh, touch earlier this year when he was playing in the Test Series at the start of the year. He was gone, you know, sure, and, I, and he I, somehow managed to go away and get his rhythm back, but he was nowhere as a batter at I'm that just point. thrilled that he's made a comeback that, that, that's got him making Test Hundreds again. You're right, when we were there in India earlier this year, his numbers had fallen off a cliff, but you know, some of the theatrics around K.O. Rahul uh, online are just ridiculous. But he is a player of real class, and um, we've seen him do it in these types of conditions before. I remember at the Oval in 2018, it would have been making 100 on the final day on a pitch that was sporting the whole way through. Yeah, more power to him. Uh, batting down the list as well, K.O. Rahul there wasn't batting in the top three. He was mm. being used as a test opener in his previous time in, in the test side. But yeah, Rabada leading that attack, of course, he won't be doing it when they're, when they're in New Zealand, which is such a shame. Nor any of those quicks, because they're all playing in the SA20. So yeah, I do feel for Rabada on uh, out of almost any of them, Rabada almost the most. Like We talk of Pat Cummins, we did the other night, as being someone who may already be in the best 11 Australia if you're making a fictional side of the best Australian 11 that Cummins will be near and 
near enough to it already mm. at maybe the halfway mark of his career, maybe a little bit further in than that. Similar situation for Abada. He's got an extraordinary test record, the better part of 300 test wickets, but how many more will he be able to add to it yeah. when they're only playing, playing two test match series? Four or six a year. Yeah, well, they're only playing two against India at home. Now, India had never won in South Africa, but they've got this formidable record in Australia of late. It's surprising that that they haven't... I thought it was daft to... that India agreed to play a two-test series. Why would you? Because you, you're probably going to get ambushed at some point. Like so you, play three to... Play three to give the yourself risk. the possibility, yeah. you know, after all of the World Cup final should be best of seven chat. Um, <laughs> surely give yourself a few more games to play. But seriously, if you want to... It's, it's, it's been marked as this bucket list item and this thing particularly that Coley really wanted to win a series in, in South Africa. Okay, well, make sure you're playing four tests, not two. Make sure... And, and, uh, and make sure that you absolutely fight with the administrators to carve out some prep time. Coley batted in that last innings like somebody who has been to South Africa several times and knows how to bat there, weirdly enough, whereas everybody else didn't. So give yourself the opportunity, you know, give yourself a couple of weeks, play a couple of practice games, you know, actually, like I know, I know the, the, the schedule is congested, but if you actually want it, if you really want it, then you have to set aside, you have to make that extra effort, you have to, you have to sacrifice something else. And if you're not willing to do that, genuinely didn't want it enough. Well, England have suffered similar criticism this week. I think some of the players are getting to India before the first test, only three days ahead of it. Yeah. Steve Harmison was uh, very critical of, of that planning. And again, everybody knows how difficult scheduling is, but yeah. it's made more challenging when players are in a situation where they're able to make nationally contracted players can prioritise the domestic T20 comps in such a way that it compromises test cricket. It just doesn't... Yeah, you're right, there's got to be some push-pull, but it can't always be in one direction. And it feels like at the moment, when there's needing to be something sacrificed, it's the... It's the prospects in test cricket that hit the fence first. And the prospects in women's test cricket increasing a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Australia playing India after India knocked off England. Similar kind of result. It's interesting how, I mean, because these Indian women have played so little long-form cricket, the template still unfolds in a similar way, which is the visiting team, like a, a similar way to the way the men's tests usually do. Visiting team finds it hard, make a low score, home team makes 400-odd, bowls them out, wins by an innings. It was remarkable how this panned out. There was, there was a moment when it was in the balance and when it was interesting when Talia McGraw was batting in that in that third innings and, and, and they pushed into a lead and it was like, could this lead be compelling enough to really challenge India? And maybe if it had been another 60 or 70 runs on it, it would have been, but it didn't work out that way. Even that felt familiar. It was like, well, if Australia bat for one more session, how many times have said that in India? If Australia bat for one more session, the game could be different and then they collapsed yep. uh, in the second dig, having played commendably to that point, those two partnerships, Talia McGrath and Elise Perry adding 70-odd, then it was Healy batting with McGrath after that, wasn't it, for 70 more or thereabouts, and Beth Mooney got them off to a pretty good start, having run out Litchfield for a diamond duck in the first uh, over of the entire Test match, so yeah, Australia 219, McGrath twin 50s, 50 in the first dig, and 72, 73 in the second. For India, they had a whole slew of players make 60-something, well, there's improvement, a bunch of them made 70-something this time, Smitty Mundana made uh, 74, Jamima Rodrigue, 73, Deepti Sharma, 78, then Richard Gosh, 54, and Pooja Vastrika, what a great match she had, made 47 
after taking, I think it was four wickets in the first dig, a couple in the second dig. Snay Rana took seven wickets for the match. I covered her debut, her test debut at Bristol in uh, 2021, we've, I think it was. Both, we've both been on that train since the very beginning. Like um, her a lot. Very, very definition of a final word favourite. She just, she just scraps and she does it batting, she does it bowling, she doesn't give up. She has this ability to influence games. You know, I, I couldn't admire her more. They talk a lot with her about having gotten super fit, having that having been a problem earlier in her career that she wasn't as fit, she couldn't string games together, and uh, and um, yeah, got herself into a position now where she's one of the first picked in that Indian side. Harman Preet contributing with the ball, picking up a wicket two balls after trying to get and obstructing the field dismissal go her way when piffing the ball at the stumps, and I mean very Harman Preet for it to uh, break her way. Just with the Australian bowlers, so Kim Garth bowled 14 out of 126 overs with India making 400 plus. Ash Gardner bowls 41 of the ones. 26, fair enough, must have bowled. Um, I didn't get to see much of the Indian batting innings, but four for 100 from 41. She's clearly been the banker there. But King bowled 19. Jonathan bowled 18, tidy overs. King was wicketless. Cheadle only nine. Perry only four. Garth only 14. Quite common in India where your second and third seamers don't do an awful lot of work. They could have done with a man of Jade Wellington. Yeah. Turning it square on a pitch that was giving. The biggest of the Australian spinners, and by that I mean the one who can generate the most turn, she could have been a factor there, as we've seen a little bit of her in test cricket before, but yeah, not to be. Yeah, it often seems a waste picking one of those faster bowler spots where they, they're just not required, you know, the classic kind of yeah, was it Ishan Sharma used to have a few of those games or Srangalakmal in Sri Lanka he yeah. had entire test matches where he bowled like two, two overs, overs as in the first innings uh, yeah. and that was that but good, yeah good times uh, I, I do, I do, I'm encouraged though Jeff that what this test match has done so India winning two test matches in two weeks has totally kick-started the conversation around more than one test in a series for women and how we block them in better. Like the idea of using the pre-Christmas window as an annual test in India, brilliant. Or somewhere else for that matter. The timing was hard. Like I I was frustrated because I I wish we'd been able to do daily shows for this and it was just that it was literally the days leading up to Christmas and we are actually human beings with families and friends to take care of and it was like we we just didn't have the bandwidth to do it. We just couldn't, it just wasn't possible crammed in between the tests that we'd just done in Perth, the one that was coming up in Melbourne, and trying to trying to get 36 hours that we could actually spend being human beings. That's true, but where it could work is in Australia, and this is the idea that I've been had kicking around, because we did have this in England this year, where the women's Ashes test match was spliced in between two men's test matches, and it did feel great, like there was this, like, this momentum around Red Bull cricket having 15 days in a row, it would have worked out to be, because both of the men's tests went to five days, where there was test cricket on. Is there a way between... Perth, if Perth is the pre-Christmas test into the future, as we think it probably will be, and Melbourne, to use those days before Christmas to play a women's test in Australia. Now, the challenge here will be, and let's go back to the comments from Nick Hockley, right? Nick Hockley has now opened the door to three test match series. He said it on SEN this week that for marquee series, they are open to trying to advance this conversation. You know, if you're going to play three tests in a series against England or India, and I think that's you know, when you hear marquee, that's what it's code for, then they're going to have to play them around the men's test. It's almost, well, the way the schedule is. So we're going to have to get creative there. But the other thing that we've talked about forever and players too is that if you're going to play more test cricket, you need domestic red ball cricket. And this is now kicking on as well. It's great. I mean, this week there's been some chat around the WBBL being shortened slightly to enable more, to enable some multi-day cricket for women. I don't agree with that I and I understand why people are frustrated about the idea of cutting the WBBL short as a premier product. 
The WNCLs where they could get creative. They've only just moved to double round robin in the last couple of years. Before that, they weren't playing enough 50 over cricket. Why don't we go back to single round robin in the 50 over stuff and have the other half of the WNCL be three or four day cricket? Or alternatively, just add a three day comp. Doesn't have to be a whole season. You can have two groups of four, bring in a Caxi. So we've got the ACT Meteors in this to- in this tournament anyway in the WNCL. Bring in a Caxi, have eight teams. Everyone plays three four-day games and the two winners of the two groups play in a state final. Yeah. That'd be enough. That's yeah, something. I, I'm, I'm okay with the idea of shortening the WBBL because I think it's time to do that. I think when it was uh, inaugurated, 59-game season is massive for yeah. one thing. I mean, we've covered an, a few WBBL seasons in full. They're exhausting. There's a huge amount of matches. It's too much for almost anyone to follow, even the people whose job it is to follow it. 59-game season because it still has to be crammed into a shorter period of time. Sure. So it's a number of matches. They don't. It's not a game a day. They're playing double headers, triple headers. They're playing. They had you know in the first couple of seasons they had teams playing twice in a day. They have teams playing back-to-back days. You have a lot of neutral teams playing in cities that neither of them are from at outgrounds where nobody cares and nobody wants to go because it's hard to market that many matches. It's hard to actually get an audience and get a broadcast slot for that many games. And the reason that there were that many games, and it was correct, was that they needed a lot of high-level cricket for the players to develop, for the the next-level down players to be able to play against good players frequently and build up the skill base. And that's been successful. They've done that now. So if you then take some of that space and allocate that to a different format, that's not create it's not making fewer opportunities. There are still opportunities for everybody to play, but you don't need as many games in that in that specific WBBL league. And I think that then you'd be able to market the remaining games. You know, you trim off whatever it is, ten percent of it or or whatever it might end up being, you take them down to ten games each instead of fourteen. Then you can you can use resources more efficiently to promote the games that are left and to make those a bigger occasion because there aren't as many games. It's not like, well, I can go and see the strikers play five times in the next two weeks in in this city. It's like, well, you have to take the opportunities you have because that's when the games are on. So I think it could make it much more effective in terms of crowds and in terms of broadcast numbers because there are some there are some dross games. There are some there are the games in early afternoon in the middle of nowhere where nobody cares and nobody's going out to Casey to go and watch. On a work day, yeah, two in the afternoon. To go and watch a, a 2pm start for a, 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 a Stars Sixes game that's been, you know... Uh, sure. Like, particularly with the out-of-town teams as well. I think, so, I think what you're saying, it's a good point. It's a really good point, and I hadn't considered it that way. It's just that it'll... It won't be... There'll be too much blowback. I, can't, I guess I'm thinking about it in a pragmatic way. Of, if you start talking about reducing the WBBL, you're going to get on the other side of the debate, why are you reducing women's cricket? Because it'll be a better product no, I, in the same way that reducing the men's comp I hear is, you, is. I hear you, but I can see where that debate will go and it won't be pretty. So from I can see where... And, and remember that you know, Belinda Clark doesn't support women's test cricket, right? Like She's on the record saying she doesn't want to have any of it. So, well, sorry, I might be exaggerating there, that she doesn't see it as being... Didn't see it being viable. Doesn't see it as being the thing that's going to drive women women's cricket forward. This is a player-led thing, right? And CA are a little bit late to the party, but good on them for getting there. The ACA have been big on this for a long time as well. I really admire Elisa Healy and her generation of players who have been forthright about this when it wasn't popular to talk about it quite so much, when they were, broadly speaking, at odds with the administration. So, yeah, if it means just adding to what they've currently got. The other point here is that every women's state player is a professional cricketer now due to the MOU. Has been for a couple, well, since 2017 technically, but even more so after the latest MOU. Like, my view is that make them play more cricket. 
Yeah. That would be a good... So in addition to the 14-game WBBL and in addition to the WNCL as it is, if we, yeah, as I say, two groups of four, bring in a, bring in a Caxi, they have three three or four-day games in a final. Mm. That isn't going to materially change the lives. Like It's not going to... It's 12 extra days of cricket a year for players who do a lot of training and nowhere near True. as much playing as they might True. like to. There is space in the in the home. It does feel that way. Even look at England. There's two white ball comps in addition to the hundred, mm. right? So, um, I, yeah, I think there is space if, in their room if they if they wish to find it. It'll all come down. All of this, by the way, will come down to the broadcasters. Maybe not quite so much a domestic piece, but three Test match series in Australia. It would need to be put on television, and that costs money. And yeah, that would be the next step of this. If CA are wanting to have a three-game Women's Ashes Test Series in addition, well, as part of the multi-format point system, which, by yep. the way, India said no to the test being in the multi-format point system for the trophy last week. Fucked if I know why, but they did. But if they want that... They've got three separate trophies being played for, yeah. They've got to find the space and the resources for it, which is, I guess, never a, never a straightforward conversation. We've got to find the space to take a break, <laughs> uh, which means that we need to tell you about Seabus Super. If you haven't heard yet, if you haven't been listening, pretty good. I like that English people don't know what Super is. Super is superannuation. That's your pension fund. That's where you get your money from when you've stopped working. It's the night before their 40th birthday in some respects. Well, maybe not strictly speaking because mm. that comes up in July next year, but the 2024 is their birthday year, so the, yep. the, the language around it will change in turn. Turning 40 is a, a significant thing, mm. and when you're on the cusp of doing it, that that really does matter. You take stock, you look back at what you've achieved and you think about where you might go next. I remember the day before I turned 30 kind of having that, I wouldn't say existential angst, that would be mm. overplaying it, but just kind of, you know, end of a decade. Yeah. And the beauty of what Seabus can do when looking back and remembering that past performance isn't a reliable indicator of future performance, but when they do look back, they can do so with immense pride. Nearly 8.99%, I was going to mm. say 9%, but they don't round up. No. They don't need to round up. No. When your story is good enough as it is, you don't need to put any mayonnaise on top of it. 8.99% average returns across 39 years in a default my super account. Mm-hmm. That is a that is a very big number. Mm-hmm. A number that I would love to enjoy across the span of my superannuation life. You too, probably. And um, that means that mm-hmm. people are able to, because superannuation is such a wonderful piece of public policy, uh, more Australians are able to have a dignified retirement, which before, when the pension was the pension or bust, was much harder. It was a big policy challenge and it was solved and this is why 40 years on from that people who started off in that scheme have, have been able to do so and that's a special thing cbussuper.com.au let's take a break we'll be back with some nerd pledge and uh, our best and worst of 2023 hi i'm natalie jimonis and you listen to the final word with jeff lemon and adam collins Final word, Adam Collins, Jeff Lemon. Our 2023 year in review is coming up. Before we get there, for the last time as well, a little bit of... No pledge? I don't know. Do I yell it out in the park? Would that it's be weird? weird? Yeah, it yeah. would be weird. We've seen plenty of, as you, as you set up earlier, dog walkers. We are, you know, next to a cemetery as mm. well. You've got to be sure. mindful of these sure. things. Well, they, look, the people in there are generally not too fussed about things has been my experience of cemeteries people outside cemeteries are much more worried about cemeteries than people inside cemeteries that's that's generally been the way that it's looked but nerd pledge uh, nerd pledge today is going to involve a friend of the show Craig Mort not the former Socceroos skipper but we like to pretend that he is um, repeating pledger he sent through a Julio which is just a flat standard number but he said the number's not important let's call the number zero because he said this is an open pledge no number per se maybe it gives you a chance to mix it up the clue is an invitation 
to choose a number that provides for a story for each of you of one of your favourite matches that captivated you or led you to fall in love with the game as kids. And I think, uh, I've talked about this on the show a bit before, but mine's less as kids, this is more like late teenage years, but if I was sending in a Nerpledge number, it would be $16.33, and my clue would be something like the streak and how it ended, because... 16 test matches and 33. Thirty-three wickets is how many Harbhajan Singh should have ah, had, except right. Steve Waugh slapped the ball away off the stumps with the palm of his hand and got given out, handled the ball, and it wasn't attributed to the so bowler. So you'd be one of those pricks who we'd have to spend fucking seven times. No, yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> who I adore every single one of them. There's some of the numbers that have came in. You'd be like, 33, where's the 33, where's the 33 from? Was, means nothing. How are we meant to work that out? He took 32 <laughs> wickets in the series. Could be, could be Harbhajan with 32. Like, no, no, it should be 33, because morally it was 33. I that understand. Was, That's very funny. I like the, it. It was the first moral... Um, my first moral experience of cricket where I was like, morally, that's wrong. You should be able to have a handled the ball attributed to the bowler if, if, if the effect is stopping you from being bowled. He was about to be bowled. The ball's about to bounce onto your stumps. Good point. Um, why isn't it given to the bowler? We should bring handled the ball back. Yeah. Now it's, it's obstructing the field now. Well, now, it? yeah, we, we, we might have talked about this the other week. Now that obstructing the field is, is such a, has such a wide remit, I, I think unintended consequences that, yeah, right. let's bring back handle the ball and make it a, a dismissal to the bowler. That might yeah. have unintended consequences. Sure. Because, well, because the only, I suppose, I suppose it's a bit different if you're, you know, the, the sort of Michael Vaughan one where you're picking it up, up, up off the pitch. But usually it's a player trying to whack the ball away from the stumps. Give oh, the umpire's uh, discretion to yeah. give the wicket to the bowler if they see fit. Yeah, if, if they believe that it was a bowler-induced error, which in this case it was. It was a false shot. It was played down into the ground. Yep. It bounces over. It's heading for the stumps and so on. But that was, that was you know, I'd watched cricket before. I'd followed the cricket before, but that was a series where I was like, test cricket is the best thing in the world. Mm-hmm. This is bloody incredible because, because it was, you know, I... I I was a bit later to the party. I didn't sort of, I didn't pay that much attention through the, when I was really young and that kind of late 80s, early 90s bit where Australia were shit house and getting pumped a lot. On the way up, I would say that, on the way under Alan Ball. Right, but there's there's a, for people say seven or eight years older than me, there's this, they still remember the hurt of being bad in the 80s. And so all of the wins in the 90s and the 2000s, they're like, good, more, give me more. They're greedy for it. They've got a gap that they can't quite fill, which is that they remember being bad. I I remember a conversation just like this. Well, it would have been, uh, it would have been uh, 21 years ago yesterday when on day five of the 2002 test match, Australia came back chasing about 120 or thereabouts. The day where Steve Waugh was out from the no ball from yep. Steve Harmison, then given not out when hitting one they didn't appeal for, then eventually um, yep. goes on to um, get dismissed, but still Australia get over the line. And I was basically barracking for England. I'm like, wouldn't this be brilliant if England um, won from here defending 130, let's say? It would be a great test match. And by that point, I'd probably grown out of my barracking for Australia right. part of my life and was more just like loving the game. And... Um, in doing so, this guy next to me said, what are you talking about? Mate, I remember what it was like. You never mm. say that. Never, you should never feel that way. I'm like, okay, <laughs> interesting. And that was because he, yeah. as he explained, he'd been right. through as a fan the hurt of the 80s and, yeah. and, 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 and seen Australia lose to England. Whereas for me, and this kind of relates to my formative experiences too, really. My first memory of watching Test Cricket is being allowed to watch them, the highlights, I guess, in 1989. Yeah, Very yeah. little, but I must have... Got my. They released these coins of all Australian Test cricketers in that series. It might have been a bicentennial thing, actually, from 1988. One dollar coin. But or I, my my dad helped me collect these coins. Yeah. 
of these test players and this test series. I remembered 88, 89, only a little bit, the broken jaw with Jeff Lawson, which we've talked about before and kind of having it on in the background. But 89 Ashes, like my sense of, oh, they're playing somewhere else, right? And watching highlights in the morning. So all I ever knew was Australia beating England. Right. And that extends to 1994. And this well and truly by then, I've got the bug, but the first the day I attend yep. the test cricket in 94, this came up during the week, so I might as well tell that story very quickly. Day one, Boxing Day, wasn't day one that was day two that as we've talked about on the show before Christmas Eve was the first day because Boxing Day was a Monday and I didn't want to have a Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday test match which yeah 25 whatever it is years on seems weird too because no one knows what day of the week it is between Christmas and New Year if a test was starting on Monday now and it was Boxing Day, it would make Who cares? no difference whatsoever. We don't know what day anyway. of the week it is anyway at a test match. wouldn't have a clue what day it is. day zero through day well, six. I know, it's, I know it's Sunday right now. I don't know why I know that. Normally, I wouldn't know what day no. New Year's Eve is. Anyway. And um, so I listened to day one on my grandfather's radio. Um, I can see, I can picture myself sitting there. His horse racing radio, I commandeered for the afternoon. I remember Mark Ward getting out for 72. I remember sort of listening and absorbing Mark Ward's my favourite player by then of course absorbing all of the day's play and then desperately wanting to go and my dad agreeing that we would go on what became day four and that day four was uh, I went with my mate Robert and his dad Bruce and my little brother Ben and my dad Daryl and the five of us went along to the G uh, and Robert the Bruce he's the guy who took over from Mel Gibson at the end of Braveheart oh right mm. okay there you go the guy in the big, big like furry cloak thing they probably do have a Scotty kind of think about they, they probably do have a Scottish background that family and yeah David Boone bringing up his 20th test turn I'm mm-hmm. being, I remember being fascinated by Phil Tufnell bowling like his 43rd over thinking well he's going to bowl a whole one day internationals worth of overs here <laughs> he finished with 49 I think again yeah. 40 out of 49 Boone's 20th 100 was a milestone moment Acknowledged accordingly by the Melbourne crowd, and then Flemo, future Travis Head, and then and then Flemo playing his first Boxing Day Test, getting Gooch with an underrated delivery, the one that moves away and kisses the edge on the way through, and and Hick with an absolute screamer before the close of play. Cricket Australia often posts that, but he was Victorian, mm. you know, bowling at the G, running in, um, doing his thing, and, and reducing England to sort of three for not many mm. overnight, and of course the next day there's the warning hat trick which we weren't there for but right. yeah even though I had watched so much test cricket by that point in my life actually being there and experiencing it firsthand, this week was the 154th test match I've been to right. <laughs> which is a pretty big number yeah. um, it was the 50th test I'd commentated on radio as well which is also a pretty big number but like it all starts there at the G yeah. and that's why whenever I come back to this ground or to this city to watch test cricket I always think about being a 10 year old mm. boy and the influence that had on my life. So you might throw in like a $4.90 for the 49 overs that Phil yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, or, or, mm. yeah, or, or maybe, um, or yeah, it would be something related to that day for sure. Um, speaking of, Michael Bevan played in that test match, Jeff, yeah. and Michael Bevan is our guest at our live show. Um, which we have failed to plug in the first segment no. we should do retrospectively here uh, we've got a live show on the 7th of January which is uh, going to be held at the Comedy Store in Sydney there are tickets still available uh, and I've been given some good material uh, to use uh, in, in the questioning of Bevo because mm-hmm. well that's the way Damien Fleming is so okay. ask him this ask him that uh, so we will Okay, we will do this we'll also ask him whether he got thrown, thrown through a roof by Jared Croker we will, we will ask him that as well we will reflect back on our most recent story time which was very funny that um that, that, that edition, the one that came out yesterday at Storytime 164, the, the bits around um, Rugby League Island and so on, and yep. what happened in 1997 uh, when the Canberra Raiders came to play with the Australian team after hours. Yeah, but that'd be, so that'd be you and that, that'd be me, it'd be the Harbour Genre. I just remember being transfixed by how one bowler could take so many wickets. I'm like, how can this one guy just be just be ripping through them time and again? And this and the fact that this Australian, in my experience, they were a bunch of triumphalist pricks who were always like lording it over everybody else. 
and I was delighted to see them lose. I was like, that was fun. That was exciting. That I was, was interesting. I was sucked into Final Frontier stuff. Yeah. I was barracking for Australia in 2001. And yeah, I stressed I didn't realise that. I genuinely didn't have the historical knowledge to know that that was way more difficult. I was just like, well, this Australian team flogs everybody, so they will continue to do so. And then they did in Mumbai. It was conf- total confirmation bias. I was like, well, look, they're just too good. They thrashed India, Gilchrist 100, Hayden 100, won by an innings. You're like, yeah, they're just going to stomp through here. And then they get turned over. And it was, you know, it was couldn't have been more exciting. I got driven back home from school by a teacher who really probably shouldn't have been doing this because I said to him, he, I became mates with my teacher, basically at Warnable where I was studying at the time. I said, I really want to get home to watch the first ball of this series. Can you nip me home? And he, got, he dropped me home. <laughs> so I did. So I watched the first, um, the start of the Mumbai Test match, um, which, you know, Australia were 5 for 100. 5 for 99? 5 for 99. We got Chris Wilson, I think it was. Mm. Maybe 5 for 99. Could Mumbai. Be yeah, yeah. Mumbai. First test. And Gilchrist makes that extraordinary century and mm. then Hayden... 127 maybe it was just the way he did it it was it was just hitting against the spin Australia in trouble so rare as it was at the time the second test that you're referring to at Calcutta another bit that I love from that I don't know whether I've mentioned it before remember this coming up on Sports World um, when it was still very much a big part of our culture you know it was the sports show on a Sunday morning right Keith Stackpole who did the segment on Sports World explained that the the team from 1969 who'd won in India had sent a fax to Steve Waugh when they'd bowled at India the first time congratulating them on being the first team to win in India since, to, since 1969 they went early on the facts and they'd, um, they'd had this facts and I think uh, doesn't, doesn't Michael Slater um, Michael Slater might have said something similar to that in the dressing room I think Gilly mentioned that to us on the greatest season that was episode we did okay. I think Gilly um, told us that anecdote anyway right. Anyway, that would be mine for Craig Moore. Those are our formative stories. Yep. And, and uh, if you want to send in a nerd pledge and help keep supporting us through 2024, go to patreon.com slash the final word. As of the end of this month, before it ticks over, we're up to 705 um, supporters on Patreon. So we've almost caught Shane Warne. Ah. So we want to get past the 708. Um, but of course, we'll lose a few at the end of the month because the credit cards expire. So get involved. Help us, uh, help us get help past us SK Warne. Yeah, help us push. I mean, we, we've, kind of, uh, we've kind of found our level on this, but I would really love to push ahead and get to Morley and Yeah, Morley would be great. Uh, Morley would be a lovely thing. So, you know, we, we do make a lot of these programs. I don't know how many podcasts we made this year, but... About 200. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, well, probably more than that from... Because think about all the dailies and all the extra eps and book clubs and yeah. you know, archive eps and calling the shots and greatest season. Yeah, almost fifty and, in the World Cup alone. Yeah, I'd suggest it's closer to two hundred and fifty when you weigh all that up. So, and that's our full time job. And the reason we're able to make that our full time job is because of patrons. So, be part of that. And yeah, a reminder: the Sydney live show. Please come along. Please bring your friends. Uh, it's a bigger venue than we had at the corner, so uh, there's going to be space. And we would love to, you know. Love to have a crack at selling it out, or at least mm-hmm. having as many people in as we can for our first ever live show. Michael Bevan, Made in Heaven. Uh, tickets in the link. Go tell people who don't know. I got some great feedback, Jeff, the other day from uh, from someone who came to our Melbourne live show and said they brought with them two people who had never heard of us, and they loved it so much they've immediately became subscribers to the show. And they, you know, the live show is what's brought them into the final word world. There we go. So you can do that with some of your Sydney cricketing mates. Good, good. All right, let us go to the best and the worst of 2023. Okay. And, and I think from this show's perspective, Adam, we have to start with best of 2023 uh, must be Glenn Maxwell's World Cup, the the remarkable arc of the Pakistan first ball duck, the Dutch World Cup record ton of 40 balls, the concussion, the missing the England game, and then coming back to play what has a very strong case for being recorded as the best one-day international innings ever from 
91 for seven, making 201 not out to run down a score against an absolutely rampant team. Um, and, and I will not hear any of the, oh, it was only Afghanistan. You should have been there and you should have watched how they were bowling. They were sensational it's that a really, day. It's a really easy way to know that someone doesn't know much about yeah, cricket exactly. when they go, oh, it was only this or it was only that. That's, oh, that's great. You're new to the game. Are you oh, sticking with cricket? It's a good yeah. sport. Yeah, yeah. Um, you'll enjoy it. Back it in. Yeah, yeah. G- give it a go. Uh, yeah, um, from where he was, the hat-trick ball that he walked in on, the review, the hat-trick ball, when it looks like he's out league before, but he's edged it and he induces the review as he's explained to us in the live show how and then the review he overturns when he's given out. The review he overturns, the, you know, the stark review that isn't, the drama around it uh, and, and so on. And you'll, it has that um, mm-hmm. extra layer with it being Maxie and us as well, you commentating it and, and me being in London I, I, and, and being away from it, but having that experience watching on TV, Rach running upstairs to make sure I was okay when I was just like screaming at the end. Um, <laughs> uh, just elated that he somehow done this. And, you know, my... Guardian coverage of that probably wasn't the most professional um, no, live blog of all time. No. In fact, about as far away no, from I professional read, as I read you can back get. over some of it. It was not. Yeah, but, um, but, but fair you know, enough. But fair enough. You know, you can indulge in, in, in moments like that, and it was very special. Uh, it was the greatest one day innings ever played, uh, and seeing the rest of Australia now feel a similar way about Glenn than we do that's pretty cool um, him being the most popular player in Australia wasn't something I had on my bingo card for 2023 no no <laughs> and, and you know it's fickle and who knows whether it whether it disappears or um, it goes back the other way I don't know but um, but but I'm just saying the possibility of a of a Maxwell 8th test match and beyond is, is I think he'll play in Sri Lanka yeah. I think he and Haskell will play in Sri Lanka mm. okay it's a long way away. Best, worst for you? Uh, oh, well, there's a lot, isn't there? I'm, I'm going to acknowledge we're not as organised this year as we have been before no. with the best and worst list. I'll just run through a few bits this and is, pieces. This is the top of the head stuff. So there are obviously yeah. some things we'll miss because we didn't have a you know a, a detailed file, but it was like, what what can we, what can we think of? Yeah, it's what jumps out. Edgbaston final day. Yeah. Edgbaston final day Massive. was fucking wonderful. The fact that we thought it may not happen with all the rain, like, oh, what a shame this would be. You know, some of us might have behaved that way the previous night as well, uh, thinking this improbable is going to be a final day. And boy, what a day it was. I mean, it was only probably three hours of cricket to resolve the contest, but um, Cummins and line at the end, England getting on a roll, Joe Root having to bowl those overs because Mo and Ali's finger was cooked or ripped off, as it were. The way it finished beneath our commentary box with the misfield with Ben Duckett and the podcast we did afterwards out with the footmarks and so on, or the, the, the where he slid, yeah. Duckett, that is. The way Cummins responded, that awesome photo of his bat hanging in the air, um, uh, parallel to his body, or to his head, sorry, and it's on the front of uh, Gideon's most recent book about the Ashes, I'm pretty sure. So there is just so much about that day. Um, there were other days. We were totally spoilt in England this year, though, Jeff. I mean, uh, starting at the World Test Championship final with Travis Head, uh, doing what he did on day one and on a, on a green seamer which was so bloody exciting the Cam Green catch of Shubham Gill which um, probably earned us about 10,000 new YouTube followers because we took such a strident view that day and Brat still copying death threats about it the um, which was which is, which is the negative yeah, this that's, year that's is, on, is the abuse the of Brat on, um, the, the abuse of Brat on social media from um, hyper-nationalists is a fucking disgrace and yeah. um, they should grow up when he put up the pictures of the Nagpur pitch as well I mean there's yeah. been a number of times when you know just the worst people in the world are getting into him yeah so yeah but a lot of that England stuff I reckon Jeff at the time we knew it was good we did have that conversation after Leeds is it going to be as good as 05 yep. but four or five months after the fact whatever it is now it was that good it was 
an extraordinary series. There were so many days. The competing ways the two sides were going about it, you know, the way Zach Crawley batted at Manchester com- compared with the way that Usman Khawaja batted at Birmingham, you know. There were all these little moments within it, some individual brilliance, the last day at Lords, the chaos, the stumping, the Stokes innings, the Australia holding their nerve, the crowd going wild. I mean, that all of it, every minute of it. That last session on day three at Leeds where Travis Head walked out and gave Australia something defendable, only for Harry Brook to haul it down the next day under immense pressure. Wokes and Wood coming back, the way Wood bowled on day one at Leeds, nearly hitting 100 mile an hour. Like, that really, that is the best series we've covered, right? It has to be, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty safe to say. Um, it just tension, interest, end-to-end, and and that's the best of it. Um, I mean, it's yeah, it's just a shame that it's big three stuff, you know, that, that, that gets the big, that gets the attention, that gets the marquee billing, you know, the four tests in India, the five tests in England. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd dream of seeing that kind of interest in a, you know, in a, in a five-test Pakistan series or Sri Lanka series or whatever it might be. And I suppose that's a big negative of this year is that two test series are embedded now. We spoke about it on the Daily Show the other day, but the the South Africa problem is getting bigger. It's a similar issue for Pakistan, not getting three test match series uh, other than when they play Australia and England. Yeah, and and even indeed um, we've seen two test match series with Pakistan uh, as recently as 2018. Depending who the other touring team is, right? Yeah, So so they just happen to be regarded as the bigger fish this summer so they got the three so yeah the gap between those who have money in international cricket and can resource it and can prioritise test cricket against those who don't have the money who are relying on investment from the IPL owners who are selling their their assets but their soul to an extent as well to stay afloat that that feels like it's going to remain on our negative list not just in 2023 but for yeah. years to come yeah top of the worst list for me is the the, the Saudi Arabia spectre the you know one of the worst regimes in the world and also you know just the leaders of the the biggest polluting block wanting to use their rivers of cash that they're making from destroying the planet that we all live on uh, in order to improve their reputation if you want to improve your reputation why don't you do things uh, to change the things about you that people despise Quit with the that, beheadings might be yeah a good maybe a bit of that and a bit of um you know actual sustainability action rather than just all of this smoke and mirrors bullshit that the big polluters are doing where they're like look it's green hydrogen look it's some other specious bullshit the the overall point is they just want to keep selling as much shit as they can to make as much money as they can which we're still doing here with all the coal we're digging up and the and the gas that we're exporting and all the rest of it as well i'm very cognizant of that there are there are levels of extremists and the 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 specter that they're just going to buy out as much of the sport as they want, holus bolus is extremely depressing. Yeah, it seems inevitable that that'll be the case. On pollution, that week in Delhi, oh my days. Mm. That week in Delhi, I'll never forget. I don't know how you can make players play in that. I mean, when the, when the yeah. air quality index is 300 plus and the warnings are do not go outside yeah. and then you're like, please go and perform elite sport. Mm. Uh, for our enjoyment for five days of this. <laughs> when Barat stormed into my room and thought I was dying wasn't a high point of my year. Yeah. When I just, I couldn't take it anymore. The, the, it was just seeping into my eyeballs mm. and my bones and, and all the rest of it. Hi, I'm Ebony rainford Brent, and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Best, uh, be, best for me watching India's quicks through the World Cup. My God, like they were just 
so good and just dismantling team after team after team. And that point, the England game where they only have 230 to defend and you're like, oh, England might actually win one here. And by 100 nah, runs. Just, just <laughs> absolutely monstered them. I think because we love those Indian quicks so much too. Yeah. I feel like Siraj has been someone we've been talking about for so long. Yeah. And he's impossible to dislike. He's got just got such a genial personality. He's so happy. Um, but he gets and up and so suit. upset. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. I like, I like both sides of Siraj, right? He seems all nice and kind and yeah. considered, but also he gets up batters, and we don't want to not have bowlers no. do that. And but he gets he gets angsty when things don't go his yeah. way. The edges happen. He's, he he hates people dropping catches. He's also a horrible fielder himself. You know, there's a whole complex Siraj story. Boomer, um, getting yeah. back in time for the World Cup, having missed so much cricket this yeah, year yeah. Was, was part of that. that and Mohammad Shami having. Um, one of the great World Cups and well he's had one of the great World Cup careers Careers, he won't finish with a World Cup medallion which I mean I don't know how you want to frame best or worst it's a very significant moment of 2023 is that India having bossed the group stage and having dominated the tournament to that point like no team has ever dominated a World Cup even Australia in 07 didn't dominate to that extent to fall on the last day and that's from an Australian um, for for Australia's team a very very uh, significant moment in their history Pat Cummins captaincy that day the 22 by changes, the way that he agreed to a plan. Dan Breddick, great bit of uh, information in his piece this week that Pat made his mind up in South Africa when he came over to watch those one-dayers over there. That's when he made his mind up that we're not going to try and bother bowling Yorkers at the death. It's a waste of time anymore. We're going to bowl um, into the pitch cutters and we're going to back it the whole way through the tournament. And that was... The extreme example of that was the World Cup final when everyone was taking pace off the ball uh, and, it, and it worked a treat. Worse, on the worst list, the, just the complete lay-down lack of action about Afghanistan from the ICC who've just given up, they don't care. And it, again, it's not the people who work at ICC Towers, it's the member boards. It's led by the BCCI um, and whoever else is falling in behind them in that block to be like, no, no, we're, we're quite happy to have Afghanistan's vote as a full member in our pocket, we'll back them. Um, we don't care that they've literally banned more than half their country from, you know, pl- not only playing sport, but basically appearing in public, being educated. You know, the, it, it is it's a, a horrific regime and um, they're just, they're, the other member countries are fully in bed with it and just happily playing friends with the Taliban, which is a disgrace. And the only time that there was any resistance to that was when Australia said no to playing a bilateral series against Afghanistan, but um, a bilateral series that would have compromised their players' participation in the IPL. Mm-hmm. Like, let's not you know, an it, inconvenient it, bilateral yeah. series. So, I mean, and they were already qualified for the World Cup in an automatic position by that point. I'm not saying that it was only that. I do believe that people that are involved in Australian cricket have, have tried to do the right thing there. Mm-hmm. But if they needed the win, i.e., as it was at they the World Cup, the points, yeah. as it was at the World Cup, I, I still ponder what would have happened if yep. Australia had qualified automatically for the semi-finals before the Afghanistan game. Whether it would have gone ahead, yeah, I think Probably they, would, I think they wouldn't Probably have set would've. a precedent of not playing in World Cups yeah. because because then it's they might be in a position in future where they need those points against Afghanistan. Yeah, that's it. But so it's a pick and choose thing going on there. A, a worst that became a best. Morris Newman's uh, column about Pat Cummins when Pat was on the way back to um, say goodbye to his dying mother writing that ridiculous diatribe from a ridiculous human being uh, full stop and you know the fact that he's even still got the ability to participate in, in the national conversation says a lot about Australia truth told but um, you know how many times did he use woke in that column only for Cummins to have one of the great years as a leader mentioned the World Cup already and a player top, top the, the world for wickets overtook
took Stuart Broad in the last test match. Oh, yeah, I, didn't, so I didn't know he got to the top him. in the end. But yeah, the 10, sure for 90, 10 for 97 at the end, the way he's bowling career best right now and having bowled really taken the, the toughest role in the World Cup bowling in the middle overs and, and, and you know, uh, basically trying to sacrifice his own ability to bowl fast and find edges and hit stumps in favour of, mm. um, you know, bowling at a... Uh, an economy rate that would be suitable. Um, yeah, and I, I didn't check this, the list, but from memory, Broad was 39. 38, I, think, I, think, I think Broad's 38. So if, if and Cummins was within 10. I, th- I think he did. I haven't checked it. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, But still, Cummins having one of the great years as an Australian captain after all of that absolute bullshit. He wasn't the only one, but he's the one that stands out the most mm-hmm. owing to the, the way it was responded to um, at the time. And uh, yeah, I'm still keen for a journey to pick up the phone and maybe we should, not that he'd answer our call, but um, to get his comments on Pat Cummins now. You were pretty, <laughs> uh, had a lot to say in February, mate. Yeah. Um, what do you what do you think just, now? Just uh, gone through with a highlighter um, through this column and have a few yeah. <laughs> few um, points to put to you. The In terms of best stuff, I mean, there were a lot of things through that, um, the India test tour, the you know, Todd Murphy seven for on debut the, the, the way he worked over Jadeja on debut yeah so so clever uh-huh. uh, and I yeah I agree Todd Murphy at Nagpur but Todd Murphy full stop yep. that is fun knowing that we're going to get to watch a guy play test cricket for the next yep. 15 years on and off it's at the start with Lyon but then mm-hmm. after that it, it could be anything yeah and we've seen the start sure and, and like a slightly odd you know different young bespectacled yep. quiet sort of dude coming in from country cricket and dominating over there um, there was a lot going on during that series uh, it's a personal one for me Some, uh, someone mentioned this the other day Henry Porter sent us a message the other day and he was like my highlight of the year was 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 when I gave Dinesh Kartik a fisherman's friend while we were doing commentary I didn't give it to him I just had them because you know so if you'd, a fisherman's friend is a, a throat <laughs> lozenge that is incredibly strong they're like licorice and menthol they're fucked up they mm. taste like there's a there's a, a plastic fire in your mouth but they're very very effective <laughs> and if you I don't know if it's just is it an Australian thing do they have them they probably have them in the US and so on but if you're used to it then you know what you're getting and so they're good for, for keeping the throat calm they were sitting on the desk and he was chatting away and he just reached out and grabbed one and popped it in his mouth and it was extraordinary like he's on mic on air and the response of like he's just kind of oh god and he's clear and he's thought it was about a menthol you know, copped a fisherman's yeah, friend exactly and he's like trying to spit it out into a receipt um and the whole thing you know as henry said it wasn't quite the, the naga chili but it was it was a reasonable second best we've got a habit of thinking that things come from australia that actually don't rachel no. always pulls me up on it a couple of years ago oh cabri chocolate you know everyone it's like mate Give it a spell. Yeah. And, you know, oh. Don't they have a factory in Tasmania? Maybe that's, that's what I, we think. I, yeah, that, that's why I thought. I we thought, just well, assume that. The Tassie factory, I yeah. thought, was where the home of Cadbury was, right. quite naively in hindsight. Um, there was something else during the week where I... Oh, my uncle made reference to the fact that jelly beans come from Australia. And, my, and Rachel's like, no, they don't. Like, no, they don't. <laughs> where everything comes from Australia. Crowded House comes from Australia. <laughs> Farlap comes from Australia. Clary Grimmett. Yeah. Pavlova. It's all, it's all Australian. Uh, should, the Tasmanian footy team should be Cadbury Purple, shouldn't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think they're, they're going to be called the Devils, aren't they? They probably, but they should be called the Chockies. Yeah, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Go actually. the Chockies. Go the Chocks. Yeah. Um, other bits and pieces here. Uh, look, there, there are some down the list of full members. Um, you know, we naturally focus a lot on those countries because they don't get the attention they probably should. Ireland's an example of that. Afga- um, Afghanistan's another. You know, in the negative this year, Bangladesh another, Zimbabwe another. 
stopping a great year. Bangladesh having a, a low-key, hideous World Cup. They were the greatest disappointment of the World Cup, playing yep. in conditions that weren't foreign to them, having played so well at home in the World Cup Super League, only to totally botch it. I mean, you could argue that Shakib, uh, doing the time-doubt dismissal of uh, Angelo Matthews, made them, um, mm. uh, for us at least, uh, that gave us a great day of... Um, yeah, best off for us and worst off for others. Yeah, that, that's yeah, it. The but Ireland missing out on automatic qualification when they played so well for the two previous years, not being able to do the job against Bangladesh at Chelmsford, mm-hmm. Zimbabwe losing series after series at home and failing to make a 20-team World Cup next yeah, year. I know. Um, when I was in Zimbabwe in 2018, like it was so much positive energy and that yep. just seems to have dissipated. Um, the Windies. Yeah, the Windies, but going nowhere, not even being at the World Cup um, and, and drifting in that direction of travel. And then the Dutch are the in the best of the... Yeah. You know, you know, not just the fact that they made the World Cup finals, the 10-team the version, but the way they did it, the way they stormed there, the fearlessness of, like, doesn't matter, we're just going to go out and, and, and crash bang at home in that last game when they needed to run it down inside 45 overs and did. But there's um, something there, isn't there, with the Dutch and the shame there being that no more World Cup Super League, so the complexity no. of that, which will affect Scotland, who we did an entire show on Scottish cricket. Another country where there's stuff going on, exciting stuff. Off the field, they're getting their act together as well, which is encouraging, having had a, a torrid time through their own racism review. But, yeah, we'll continue focusing on those countries as much as we can. Uganda making a World Cup yeah. positive. Who, who would have thought that? You know, I, I didn't even none of us would have realised they were even a chance of making a World Cup five years ago uh, and here they are making the 20-team competition next year. Best of uh, Chamari Atapatu's 2023 owned the year so her Sri Lankan team where it's really been her and and 10 passengers so often in the past they they went to Bangladesh beat them in a one-day series and a T20 series away which is no small thing beat New Zealand in a one-day international series beat England in a T20 international series she gets overlooked in the Big Bash draft, gets picked up as a replacement player late in the piece, and she's player of the tournament, 500 runs, nine wickets. I mean, she's 33 years old. She's, she has put in for year upon year upon year upon year without a great deal of, of joy and success. You, you know, you look at her, her match list, and then if you filter it by wins, it, it's, I think she's won 18 ODIs out of the, what, nearly 100? That I mean, it, it's... She, she's really put in the work and it just it warmed my heart to see her see all of that come off this year. Genuine green shoot. She also dominated the Fairbreak Invitational for the second year in a row, leading run scorer there. Fairbreak was a wonderful fortnight in Hong Kong and you know, more power to the team there and looking forward to seeing what they do in 2024. But there were stories like that, right? So the Sri Lanka piece to this, when they beat England, that was immediately after England had, had run Australia as close as they have in a multi-format points system for the Women's Ashes going back to 2014, right? I mean, I know England won the first one, but since then, England have never really... I know they were level on points in 2017, come to think of it, but that... Australia had wrapped it up and it didn't feel like... This felt closer, right? England's performances rallying as they did um, felt significant and Nat Siver having another monster year Nat Siver Brunt brilliant Heather Knight batting with Kate Cross at the end of that one day where they chased down 250 odd on um, you know with a with an over to spare was a really exciting remember watching that with Winnie and personally that feeling like a big deal like winning watching the end of that game with me not necessarily knowing what was going on but having an appreciation for a game of cricket that um, that was being played by women and you need to have those big high-profile finishes and so on, grandstand yeah. finishes, and, and, and we saw them. New Zealand, you know, haven't had a great 
year with their women's team, but they've contributed to Pakistan and Sri Lanka enjoying success and True. part of their stories. You know, we spoke about this last week, but Pakistan's women winning um, a, a series in, in New Zealand is a massive deal and, yeah. and Sri Lanka as well. And then Sri Lanka, yeah, as you said before, beating England after being, you know, w- all the attention... Uh, is on how England will spifflicate Sri Lanka having ran Australia so close only for them to get turned over in the T20s 2-1 and it could have been 3-0 if not for the uh, the rain affected first T20 England have had some good things happen to them as well Mahika Gaul, Lauren Fahler coming through um, the first part of that a fair break story too but yeah it, it, in some parts of the women's cricketing world it does feel like the the threads are getting closer together and Bangladesh knocking off South Africa yes. in, into that as well, yes. but Bangladesh women, you know, extraordinary for them. And and I loved the Siva stat where I think it was no one, no one else had made four one-day centuries against Australia. She made four in five innings. <laughs> well, there was a World Cup, wasn't there, earlier yeah. in the year, which I mean, wasn't in that format, but the Women's World Cup having South Africa make it to the final. There's a positive there. The national team is capable of mixing it with the best of them. They nearly bloody yep. beat Australia there. Yep. The downside is that they've had retirements because, well, Guess what? Cricket South Africa haven't got their act together for the umpteenth time, and they've um, they've lost today. Van Niekerk and all of that. I think that's a negative of the year. Van Niekerk being yep. sacked from the the side before the World Cup for um, for on relatively arbitrary mm. fitness standards that they were setting to. I think it's reasonable to say to get her out. And now we've got Shabnin Mishmail, who's also. I, th- I reckon that was more to get Lizelle Lee out. Um, yeah, that they were starting to pull up that fitness stuff but you but know maybe yeah, your, your 10k time trial result doesn't have a lot to do with the cricket match well yeah I think this was the 2k trial that, that she come back was. from that broken leg the previous year yeah. and anyway the point is is that them losing Danae Van Niekerk at age 30 is a massive loss and having then gone on to make a World Cup final what they might have done had she been available yeah I reckon it's it's a worst of the year for me uh, like it, it's it's a thing that people remember but that Lord's Day the the Kerry Bearstow day was was so ugly and so unpleasant and and I and and the response to it was so ugly like I really resented the thing of of, of being accused of parochialism in it as well yeah. because because I remember I remember getting smashed up in 2019 by Australians because I defended the Lord's crowd with the Steve Smith thing when they said Steve everyone was booing Steve yeah, yeah, Smith because yeah. he went off in when he went off injured and we I was defended like, the Lord's crowd and we defended Joffre Archer right, that night and we right. both were. Got barreled for it. Treacherous for doing so. Fine. Um, but I was like, well, look, I was there. Whoever was listening on TV, you weren't. You had some TV mics that were near. Like, maybe there were 100 people doing it, but the rest of the crowd wasn't. Like, you can't mm. actually make the assumption that you made. Four years later, totally different story. Um, not everybody was being a dickhead, but a huge proportion of them were. And it was so ugly, and it was so self-righteous and so condescending and so, like, we are the ones who will decide how this game should be played. And it, I don't know, it just, I, I, I found it genuinely upsetting that day. And then sort of when I look back on it now with some hindsight, I feel like that that was like, yeah, it spiced things up and it, it, it put a flame under the series and so on. But you didn't need that. That was already there. We'd already had a classic at Edgebaston. We could have had another classic at Lords without all that bullshit. But it, it just, it just felt, it still feels kind of tawdry that, it, it was so ugly and so aggressive and so pointless and so, you know, so needless just because you didn't agree with a decision or the, the decision made to uh, to enact a dismissal that you, someone didn't agree with. Yeah, it was the moment of the year, um, I think, in terms of uh, the thing that we'll think about and look back on, which I agree, it's 
crazy that it is the moment of the year, but such are the quirks of the, the sport, yeah. I suppose. And blaming blaming the punters, saying, oh, it was because there were cheap tickets on day five when the worst part of the day was in the long room. I don't recall there being a lot of 25-pound ticket punters being let into the long room where the, the lords and the baronets and, and the, the, the chancellors and whatever else are hobnobbing around. Yeah, that was... They need a few more mirrors in that place. So oh, I, I feel. I feel. I feel for the MCC. I feel for the people in the MCC who have done such a lot of great work to make that organisation as progressive as it is in the 21st century. That there are members, there are there are groups within the membership, shall we say, yep. um, who make that job harder for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran into a couple of the MCC staff that night, and they were just gutted because you know they they try so hard to uh, renovate the, the reputation but yeah they were let down by a few of their more than a few more than a few of their members that day a number of whom have been uh, suspended and kicked out and mm-hmm. and all the rest of it um there was a women's ipl for the first time this year and a yeah. women's psl although the women's psl got reduced because yeah. of, um because of the, the well it wasn't even a politics. psl they'd sort of called it something else i mean that's on my worst list is that is that the new administration having got rid of ramiz raja yeah. they completely torpedoed what was the project that he was putting together which was to have a big women's PSL ahead of India get the jump on them and 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 make that a a, a real signature piece of the women's tour um, and instead it got turned into a small afterthought kind of sideshow um, the w I mean the WPL deal is a huge plus it is massive for the women's game so that's that's in the best column and the Pakistan tanking their opportunities in the worst back to India for my last contribution a best and a worst well you know a best and an, a best and an interesting best when we uh, when Gideon found the Mobile, the Batmobile underneath mm-hmm. the uh, Underbud Stadium and we were all able to go out there and get photos taken in it and so on. I see that car's been utilised in the World Cup <laughs> recently as well so um, it's not getting to Australia anytime soon but that was a, a funny, enjoyable thing. Uh, interesting, of course, the day before. Of course, um, not yeah. meant to have politics involved in, in cricket at all. I keep hearing this over and over again. No, you know, no that, politics um, in cricket. No yeah. politics in cricket but yeah, yeah the, the pre-test festivities at Underbud and the signage all around the ground and, and um, anyway. And Maybe the maybe a best is like Travis Head having that incredible year, and then being the second wicket in the Mir Hamsa two in two. Yeah, the Yorker that goes through. It's a late, it's a late nomination, but that was bloody exciting. Mm. I like, four for sixteen. You know, you don't see many Test matches in Australia where the home side's struggling like that. And from a you know our perspective, highlight of the year, the Corner Show. Uh, yeah, and we did a live show at London, which was brilliant at the Phoenix. There, it was such a great night with our London Final Word crew and. And Steve Thin was just sensational. But then our homecoming show in Melbourne, which kind of doubled as our ten year anniversary really yeah. as a as a as a duo. A duo. And to do a that duet. in front of the better part of three hundred people or whatever it worked you out to be, I think more than that in the end. Uh, and, uh, and selling every ticket and some we managed to sneak some more people in at the end after it was fully sold out and all of that kind of thing, the the energy around that, the fact that we sold that out before we even told the world that Glenn Maxwell was the guest, then Glenn coming on and being in career best form behind the mic and just being such a wonderful person afterwards taking every selfie doing every autograph all the shirts were signed and so on that was really special uh, to do that at a venue that has been a big part of both of our lives so uh, thank you to everyone who was part of that part of the London live show hopefully we have a a similar experience in Sydney week after next yeah yeah so come along to Sydney um, because that might be the best moment of 2024 so we're about to careen into a, a new year which we'll have we'll go to New Zealand for a test series we'll have the t20 world cup in june uh, we'll have be I'll, I'll be in england in september for some 
one day internationals and T20s and so on. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's not as packed 2024. It's still gonna, yeah, it's going to be it's gonna a, gonna a be busy. Kind of, I've got some other projects I'm working on as well. I get back to Australia weirdly in February and in March with the New Zealand tests in the middle of that. We've got the the Sports Commission awards thing coming up in Feb, which is exciting. If I mean, I don't think we'll win, but it's nice to make the last four and a, an industry-led acknowledgement of what we're doing, which is kind of an unusual thing. A lot of awards out there. I mean, there's the, the fan awards and the pretty much what's your biggest Instagram following yeah. type of shitty podcast awards that mean nothing, but this this kind of does. Mm. So if we, um, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll be the, at that. Uh, the, the, the nomination, who's that? The Robin Williams kind of, you know, best actor. Like, you're not going to win it, but you're in the noms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, in the, we're in the noms. So that, that's in Feb and then, yeah, back here in March and on a couple of other projects and we'll be in New Zealand both working on that series and making daily shows. There'll be daily shows from the India-England series, which is coming up in three weeks or something like that which we'll be part of as well Cam Ponsonby has been a big part of that um, with our dailies this year and we'll be over in India we'll have World Cup dailies all the way through June uh, from America where we will be and the Caribbean where we probably won't be but we'll work that out as we go and then yeah we're into another it's not a great sport for finish lines but we wouldn't want it to be because this has become such a wonderful part of our lives really this podcast it's not just work it's more than that it's a big part of our identity and um the fact that we've got so many people who listen and watch and have become part of our world and part of our orbit as a consequence through the discord channel and through patreon and through coming to our shows and coming up to us when they see us at cricket grounds or talking to us on social media or whatever it is it's it's it makes i mean cliched as it is it makes it all worthwhile patreon.com slash the final word jump in for 2024 and let's say farewell from a beautiful sunny Melbourne day with the helicopter circling overhead and a few little wispy white clouds up in the blue sky it is the last day of 2023 Jeff Lemon, Adam Collins, Happy New Year to you and we'll see you very very soon. Happy New Year I had to go about it